Hello, everybody. Today's guest on the podcast is Sean Jean Lee. Sean Jean, or SJ, is an orthopedic surgeon and an incredibly well-rounded and accomplished rock climber. Her accomplishments include V10 in bouldering, climbing 513 plus trad, and 514A sport. We talked about climbing City Park, a 13-plus trad climb in Index, Washington, while she was in the midst of her surgical residency. We talked about lessons learned from climbing her first 514 this past fall at Smith Rock, as well as her first team-free ascent of the Dark Side of Liberty, a 513-plus multi-pitch route on the east face of Liberty Bell up in Washington Pass that she climbed last summer along with her partner, Mikey Schaefer. He's both her climbing partner and her romantic partner. We talked about their process finding and projecting the dark side of Liberty, as well as some of the challenges of dating your climbing partner, and some of the strategies that SJ has used to navigate the give and the take of her relationship. Uh, Some really great takeaways there, and thank you to SJ for sharing that. I think it could be really helpful. We talked about her training and the takeaways from a lattice training assessment she did last year, about some of the differences she's observed between men and women, and some training advice specific to women, and the importance of believing in yourself when taking on things you are not sure you can do, like climbing 514. This episode was recorded back in mid-February, and we started off talking about her goal to climb V10. And some fun news is that she did that about a week after this interview took place. She sent Beefcake, the climb she said she was working on in Bishop, and it sounds like she totally crushed it. So congrats, SJ. You may just become a boulderer yet. That is not a criticism. You guys will get the joke uh, just a few minutes into the interview. This one was full of laughter. We talked about all sorts of stuff. It was super fun, and I got a lot out of it, and I hope you guys do too. I think it's a good one. So please enjoy this conversation with Sean Jean Lee. Feel good? Need anything? No. All right. Yeah. Back Hi, massage. SJ. Back massage? <laughs> yeah. Before we get going? Oh, man. I guess it's probably the least I can do for getting an interview. Your uh, your podcast people are getting more and more demanding, huh? <laughs> That's probably the highest demand so far, yeah. I'd like a 30-minute massage before we start. Damn, all right. Well, I'll talk to Mark, try to get a portable table in here, and I don't know what I'm doing, so it might not feel good. Does the quality matter? You know, as long as I can send tomorrow. Okay. Okay. And if you don't, I'll just have to delete the whole interview. Yeah, then we're done. Got it. <clears throat> okay, fair enough. So I think if people Google your name, a lot of things are going to come up around hard granite climbing, crack climbing, maybe some hard sport climbing, but they're going to be like, oh, this person is a, a trad climber, does hard alpine stuff, that sort of thing. But we're in Bishop right now. Uh-huh. And you're bouldering. <laughs> I know I'm branching out. <laughs> how, are you, how are you finding bouldering? How's that been? Um, you know, I actually started climbing when I was at UCLA for undergrad, and so I actually started climbing 
bouldering. Okay. And so Bishop was kind of my original stomping grounds really? back in the day. Yeah. Okay. Not um, just gym bouldering. Not just gym bouldering. Nice. Yeah. My actual first climbing experience was outside. Like, oh, wow. Ever. Um, Same. That's and cool. And so, yeah. And so I kind of grew up climbing in a sense here. Um, okay. And as you mentioned, I really do like to climb on a rope these days. And so initially, my partner Mikey and I, uh, when we Mikey were talking, mm-hmm, yeah, um, when we were talking about winter plans, he was really excited to boulder and. Uh-huh. I was less excited because I felt like I had kind of been there, done that as mm. far as like that part of my climbing progression. And, you know, I've been to Bishop so much already, but then he convinced me that it would be good for climbing, that it would be fun, et cetera. And so, I mean, it really took a day back here <laughs> before I realized, A, that yes, it's good for my climbing and B, uh-huh. that it's really quite fun. It it's, only took one day? It took one day. That's <laughs> I'm uh, Turns out bouldering's fun. I'm easily convinced, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean it's just, you know, I spent the fall in the valley and it's mm. you know, you're with one partner often and it's mm-hmm. really nice to just climb with friends, you're on the ground, you can start late in the day if you want. Yeah, you don't have to haul stuff. You don't have to <laughs> I mean, boulder pads. Yeah. <laughs> are arguably just as unwieldy as all bags, but they're not as heavy. But no, it's been fun to, you know, climb with friends on the ground. Yeah. Eat snacks when you want to eat snacks, (laughs) that kind of thing. (laughs) The important stuff. So you and I was, we were kind of joking about this yesterday. It's funny that you and Mikey both had the same goal. You both wanted to climb V10 this season. Mm -hmm. And we did, um, you know, of course he's, he's done like four of them. Mm -hmm. He's smashing it. No surprises there. But you told me a funny story yesterday where I think after he did his first one, you guys had filmed it mm-hmm. and then you sent it to Nina and James, <laughs> Nina Williams and James Lucas to see if he was a boulder or not. Right. So we sent the video to Nina Williams and James Lucas because they're, you know, they're good friends of ours and they're also very good at bouldering. Uh-huh. And so my <laughs> Mikey and James have a little bit of a bromance going on. Oh, and so wonderful. they, um, anytime he does something, he'll often, <laughs> <laughs> like James is often the first person that he tells about it. <laughs> so he sent the video to those guys, A, because they're friends, and B, because they're such good boulderers. And he wanted um, affirmation. Not affirmation. He wanted kind of constructive criticism. Okay. You know, and so he wanted to know if he looked like a boulderer. How real was that? Was that funny, or was it, did, was he actually looking for like I, how am I moving? Am I moving like a boulderer? That sort of thing. I think it's a little of both. Yeah, actually, that's I think perfect. A, it's funny, <laughs> and B, you know, I think that he when he does something, he wants to be good at it. Like mm. he wants to do it right, mm-hmm. and so. He wants to know, can I be better at uh-huh. this thing, you know? And so so some of it was in seriousness. So what was the feedback? The f- feedback <laughs> initially was that he needs to wear brighter colors. <laughs> <laughs> His wardrobe is like a very, you know... Earth tones. Earth tone conglomerate of like... Track climber. Black, exactly. Yep. Track climber, on, gray, Mikey. that kind Get of thing. Get you a beanie. 
<laughs> he wasn't wearing a beanie. Yeah. <laughs> He's wearing like his knee brace, um, which also. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are coming back in for bouldering, though. <laughs> yeah, I, not the kind that he was wearing. <laughs> um, and I think they said he needed more pop. Mm, more pop. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's so, kind of been the goal for both you guys with this a little bit, right? Yeah, okay. definitely. Get a little, a little bit snappy. More snap. Yeah. Nice. So, how's the goal going for you? Um, it is going a little bit slower. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't done one yet. I haven't done one yet. So the goal has not, you know, been ticked off yet. You were trying um, beefcake yesterday. I was trying beefcake yesterday. And I just, I really like that climb. So okay. it's fun to work on it. Nice. And then I think my goal is also to do some V9s, V8s, just kind of things that are hard for me that I can do instead of getting bogged down in one project. Mm, so yeah. I'm making a conscious effort to not just like, you know, focus in on like the v10 um because i think that that actually ultimately might not make you a better climber Uh overall so i have a tendency to get you know tunnel vision and so um i'm trying to stay a little more broad this time around i like that i think most spending most of our time building the pyramid Mm -hmm. always always a smart way to go (laughs) Cool. Mm-hmm. So what are you trying? Do you have any projects right now? Uh, one of my projects this season was Soul Singer. Um, nice. And I did finish that one a couple weeks ago. Nice. Um, and then I it's have... It's V9 in the buttermilks. Yep. And then in the Happies, I've been working on Cholos. Okay. Uh, which is quite fun. I've, that's you know, done it in V10. That's two hard, sections. It? No, it's V9, it's nine? actually. Oh, that's mm-hmm. such a hard V9. There is a extension to it where you climb into it that's a v10 called low rider okay and so that was actually mikey's first v10 so he was you know we were kind of concurrently working on all of those things and then there's another v9 up at the sads which is this prettier ret line that we were talking about Mm -hmm. um called slunk and Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna go back for that tomorrow yeah Mm -hmm. nice are you sticking with the morning plan Mm -hmm. okay so all right you're gonna have to warm up the boulder for me (laughs) I think the boulder is going to get plenty warm for you anyway. <laughs> I'm going to wait till it's dark and cold. No, I think that's the way. Honestly. I think it is. I'm kind of psyched on the night session here. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of sold on it. Yeah. I didn't really think about that until last yeah. night when we were out there and I was, because like, you know, at Smith, you know, where we both have climbed a lot, it doesn't cool down as much as you mm. often want it to right when it gets dark. And mm-hmm. so. Especially in the fall. Yeah. I think in the spring it does a little bit better, but I totally agree in the fall it just stays kind of... It stays kind of warm for a while. So I think in my head I was like, oh, it's going to take a while for it to cool down. But last Mm -hmm. night it just kind of cooled down. Yeah, just like that. It's pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. So you live in Reno now. I do. Thus thus the bouldering in Bishop again. Yep, exactly. When, When did you move to Reno? I moved to Reno in September of 2019. Okay. So I graduated from orthopedic surgery residency at OHSU in Portland on June 30th of 2019, effectively. And then afterwards, I had found a job in Reno. And so we took a couple months to travel and climb, and we headed down to Reno for my new job. And access to new climbing are you liking it it's amazing really it's super amazing oh cool i've heard that multiple times I've, I've heard a lot of psych about reno actually yeah it is great i think it's one of those things where you like kind of want to keep it a secret about how awesome it is it sucks never mind take it back <laughs> yeah but clearly i'm not keeping a secret right now uh-huh. um 
But it's amazing. And I think a lot of climbers are realizing that also okay. because, you know, your access to all different types of climbing is so good. And there's so many things to do year round. And, and is that like Tahoe, Donner Summit, like mm-hmm. that stuff? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, you're a couple hours from the Hulk. You're, mm. you know, a little longer than that to Tuolumne, you know, so you have all of that sport climbing as and like access to all of that granite in Tuolumne and the valley, mm-hmm. you know, in the summer and the fall. Yeah, and the winter bishop isn't that far away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I'm on call, I have to be, you know, within 45 minutes or so back to the hospital. And so, you know, the climbing up at Donner and at Star Wall, which is climbable in the winter, is all, you know, oh, is it really? within that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's all within that time frame. So it's really nice because I do have to be on call like once a month, okay. like for a week at a time, probably every month or so. And so it's nice that those days aren't like a total loss yeah. in a sense. Gotcha. Yeah, from a climbing standpoint. How late in the season can you climb up there? How late it in the spring? It depends on kind of what aspect it is and obviously it's all still new to me but you know i think at donner you can climb through the summer yeah snow shed wall for example but then you know but then star wall is good through the winter for the most part because it's south facing so as long as you're there if it's really cold and it's like relatively dry you can show up there when it's sunny and have t-shirts and shorts on (laughs) that's awesome yeah i've been that's been on my list and i'll be coming back through that way sometime this spring yeah i'd love to you should check it out yeah Yeah. you should go up there come on through yeah cool i'm curious to what extent are you a planner are you already thinking about your climbing year and where you're gonna be climbing as as the weather changes in this new spot are you more excited to kind of play things by ear and see what see where things take you I think on average, I'm probably more of a planner than most people. Okay. Yeah. I think that I've learned over time to be a little more loose in my plans than Mm -hmm. I used to be. Like I used to really like to plan things in more detail than I currently do, Mm. but it's just like too much planning doesn't allow for like the variables in life, you know? And so... Now I like to plan kind of more broad strokes. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, like for the year, if this is what you're getting at, like, you know, I have like a general sense of, you know, like this winter, we're going to spend some time in Bishop. And Mm -hmm. then like in the spring, you know, I'd like to go back to Yosemite. Okay. And then in the summer... Yeah, I haven't been to the Hulk, so you okay. know I think we're gonna try and spend some time out at the Hulk, and then yeah. So that's kind of like broad strokes. That's what exactly we're what at. I was getting at. Yeah, and it's interesting with you because you have, I mean, you have an amazing resume already, but it's pretty varied, and it's it makes me wonder kind of what direction you're headed in because it seems like you could kind of go do anything. I mean, what was it a couple of years ago you did City Park, mm-hmm. repeated City Park up in Index, mm-hmm. and that's what thirteen plus. Pinscar Crack, mm-hmm. beautiful line on index wall that Todd Skinner did the first ascent of in 86. When did you do that thing? I did that thing in the summer of 2018. Okay. Yeah, I think summer of 2018. Actually, it was Labor Day weekend okay. of 2018. Nice. I had been working on it. So that year, Mikey went to Peru for all of July. Okay. And he was down there with... Josh Wharton and Steve House and they were trying 
you know, to climb a crazy alpine peak. Uh-huh. And so they were there for the month. And so one of the things that I like to do when he's gone is I like to take that time to like focus on a project of my own. It like it's like a good time for that because you know that is effectively like me time yeah and you guys do a lot of climbing together yeah exactly so that's like time that i can kind of dedicate toward my own goals without feeling like i'm pulling him away from his goals or anything Mm. like that and then it also like kind of keeps me occupied when he's gone so that like i'm not missing him every day all the time Uh (laughs) so (laughs) yeah no so it's like a great so that was that was my my project for that month effectively so in July of 2018 I was like okay I'm gonna just put some time in on this thing and the great thing about it is that the reason I think it's so legendary is that a it's super accessible it's Mm. like it's right in the middle of the lower town wall Mm -hmm. you walk up to it the warm-up five nine that everybody gets on is the line immediately next to it Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of like right in the middle of everything and so the reason it made a good goal was because it's hard to get people to go to places that are like way out in the middle of nowhere (laughs) So you have you have like uh, more buy in from partners Uh when your when your project is a little more accessible. Yeah. And then the other reason it was great was because it was so close to Godzilla, the five nine next to it. Uh I could go up there myself and just set up a fixed line Uh on on the line, and then I could mini traction it. I was about to ask that. yeah. Yeah. How much of that did you do? I think I did. I'd have to go back and look, but you know, I think I did at least like six days or eight days. Okay. Yeah, something like that of mini tractioning on it. And it was super helpful. It's just, it's nice to be able to like control your conditions. You know, you can go when you want to go. And if that happens, you know, it was July, so it was really mm-hmm. hot. And so if that happens to be at like 6 a.m. in the morning, you like, uh-huh. you don't feel bad about dragging <laughs> somebody out. Um, and so you can just, you can set up your conditions however you want them to be that way yeah. without getting in anybody's way or like imposing on anybody else's schedule. So. Uh-huh. So that's why that was a good project for me. At the Did time. you feel like there was a risk factor to that one? Is it dangerous at all or is the gear pretty good? The gear is really good. Okay. I mean, it is frequently done as an aid line mm-hmm. and it's a line that people frequently practice aid climbing on. And so, you know, there's splitter cracks and the gear is all good. Mm-hmm. The hard part is getting the gear in when you're climbing it. Yeah. Because depending on whether you're using your feet for the cracks or you're just smearing on the face, there are sections where it's you don't feel very secure. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to place gear. Got you. Yeah. So overall, the gear is good. But the hard part is placing it. And the other hard part is the psychological effect of placing very small gear because uh-huh. all of the gear is really small okay not all of it but most of it is yeah. really small and so then you're like oh is this like tiny rp like actually gonna hold my fall <laughs> <laughs> or not uh-huh. <laughs> so what's your process with that did you wait until you were pretty sure you'd be able to do it leading gear like did you climb it clean before you tried it on go placing gear Yeah, so I pretty much worked on, so I worked on the moves first and Mm. then, and then after I felt like I could do the moves, I started mini tractioning and placing gear. Okay. Because 
I think the most challenging part of that route is figuring out what stances you need to be in in mm-hmm. order to place the gear that you need to place. So you're like mock leading to figure out sequencing. Exactly. And stuff. Yeah, because gotcha. it changes the sequence. I mean, you know, you can like place your hands in whatever order you want in the crack, but if your hand ends up being in, you know, where you need the red C3, then mm-hmm. like your sequence doesn't work. Yeah. So before I got too far into the actual kind of climbing of it, I started working on where, where I wanted to place gear. Okay. So that was the next step. There were a few days in there where I just went out with friends and they belayed me on top rope. And I found that actually pretty helpful just because I think you're more motivated when you're with friends Mm. or you can be. And so like those days were pretty helpful. I like, you know, felt like I had less excuses those days. I Mm. tried harder. You know, I made some breakthroughs as far as like making links on those days. And so I had a few couple of those days thrown in as well. And then I think, I don't totally remember, but I think I only let it two days okay. before I sent. Nice. So, yeah, like two or three days. And so, yeah, the first time on lead, I was very shaky. Uh-huh. You know, it was a whole, you know, whole new beast. Yeah. Um, and that took a few times, you know, before I could calm the nerves down mm-hmm. and like give it a real go did you find out if the rp would hold (laughs) (laughs) i never found out the rp would hold nice (laughs) but there is this um i was placing this cam right before it's like kind of the middle there's this bootleg in the crack okay and Getting up into the bootleg was the crux for me. I don't think it's the crux for everybody, but it was the crux for me. And so there's a piece that I put right like as I was going through the crux. And so I whipped on that a few times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And initially I had a red C3 in there. And the first time I whipped on it, I was with Luke Steferak. And he was like... Um, do you want to just, you know, double or triple check your gear and make sure that's the piece you want to be whipping on? Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I've like done this on micro traction and then kind of looked at it and I was like, yeah, maybe I'm not that <laughs> excited about this piece. <laughs> so I did upgrade that to a yellow C3. Okay. And I, you know, I do appreciate Luke is very, uh, a, he's very supportive and B, he's, um, he's very analytical. Mm. And so like, I appreciated his thoughts about mm. safety. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, and so, yeah, I felt a lot more comfortable taking that whip afterwards. Cool. That was like the only, that was like the only real sketchy one. Was he trying it with you? He was not. He was just kind enough to okay. come climbing with me one day. Gosh, you. Were, was yeah. anyone else trying it with you? Were you able to feed off of other beta or other psych or anything? Oh, yeah. So um, I think Brittany Gorris was working on it right before I was working on it. Okay. Or, so we were maybe we were working on it overlapping for a little bit, but she sent it pretty early on as far as when I was working it. Okay. And so she did help as far as like kind of tidbits of beta here and there. Uh-huh. Nice. Um, so that was really, really helpful. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Where did that one stack up for you at the time? Was that up there as far as like the hardest route you'd done at the time? Yeah, it might have been the hardest route. Okay. At the time. Dude, that is badass. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, I nice actually one. didn't really think about it that way. And you did, mystery, you did Vicious Fish after that. I think I did Vicious Fish after that. And, and I think Yuck. I did Mr. Yuck after that as yeah. well. So that might have been the hardest thing at the time. That's awesome. You've had a good year. 2019 was a good year. It was a good year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Knock on wood. She just knocked on my countertop. (laughs) 
<laughs> you just, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, then you, you climbed Vicious Fish, uh, 13D at Smith Rock. You climbed Mystery Yuck, your first 14A mm-hmm. at Smith Rock. Congratulations. In reverse order, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mystery Yuck came first. Nice. Go yeah. figure. <laughs> right on. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Any like learning or takeaways from that one? Um, from Mystery Yuck or Vicious Fish? Maybe either. Yeah. You know, I think one of the takeaways from Mr. Yuck was <laughs> there's so I was getting through the crux pretty regularly. But at the top of Mr. Yuck, there's this like, I don't know if it's like a V3 or V4 or, or V2 or, you know, whatever. There's like this big there's this big kind of windmill a, kind move. of a drive by. Move. Yeah. And drive yeah. by move to uh-huh. a jug. Uh-huh. So it shouldn't be hard. Like if it was on the ground, you'd do it every single time. But it's after you do the crux of the route. And so I was falling there over and over and over again. So the crux never felt hard to me, but I just couldn't do the windmill move. And I could, I'd like, you know, fall and then I'd do it next go. But that doesn't really count, Uh it turns out. And, you know, I kept thinking that I just needed to get stronger to do the move. Mm -hmm. And so I was like training for that move you know i was like doing bicep curls because you have to like pull in on that right underclang in order Mm. to do the move and you know i was like training for that move and in the end i forget who i was with i think i was with i was either with crit or i was with mike holmes okay yeah i'm pretty sure it was mike holmes he was like Hey, do you want to feel some of the other holds around there and, you know, like try a different way? And I was like, well, I've touched all of these holds and I think this is the way I have to do it. I just need to be stronger. So Mm -hmm. I was like convinced, like, just need to be stronger. But then I was like, fine, I'll like look at these other things. So I was like up there. (laughs) I was up there for like. It was like the second session of the day because I had done a morning session. Okay. And then, then the sun hits, it gets really hot. So then yeah. I went back for an evening session, even though I had been climbing all day. And Mike was like, you need to just like look at some other holds. And so I effectively used all the same holds that I was using, but I used them in a different order. Huh. And I, you know, I moved my foot earlier and you know i think maybe i used one additional hold or something Mm -hmm. but in the end i was like oh maybe i have to do this sequence of moves this way instead of the way i was trying it and so then the next time i got on it i sent it oh wow and so i think the lesson was like if it's not working (laughs) maybe you should try something else Uh instead of doing the same thing over and over and over again (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's that's the crux of red point climbing right yeah it's always so hard to know what you should do should i just keep trying and commit to this thing or should i look for another method yeah so with that was it just did you end up finding a way where you were in that strenuous position for less time or what what did that come down to you think I think I found a way to get, hold on, let me think about this. How did it go? I just found a way to make the moves a little bit less strenuous. Okay. Yeah. So I got my foot up earlier so that I could stand on it instead of kind of pulling off my, like a shittier hand. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I was able, I think it just saved just enough energy Uh for me to like pull in and do the drive-by windmill move. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you Mm -hmm. think you've linked through all the hard climbing on that route more than anybody else? (laughs) 
<laughs> it's hard to say. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> good training. <laughs> I know because initially I thought like, oh, if I could, I actually found the crux of Slit Your Wrist to be uh-huh. quite challenging, and and I found the crux of Mr. Yuck to be doable once I had like mm. quite doable because it's something that you can kind of lock down, mm-hmm. whereas the crux of Slit Your Wrist is a little balancey and technical, and you feel like you can whip off of it. Yeah. And so I had told myself like, okay, well once you can reliably send the Slit Your Wrist crux, you can do this. Uh huh. Uh huh. But it turned out that that was not the case. Got a little epic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was the case. It just took maybe a little longer than you expected. For listeners, Slit Your Wrist is a 13B, and then Mr. Yuck climbs through the crux of that. It's like a V7 boulder on this arete, more or Mm -hmm. less. And then it branches off, and you climb this kind of steeper headwall with another couple cruxes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So you talked about uh, bicep curls, and that just triggered something. Um, when I was kind of poking around prepping for this, I looked at your Instagram mm-hmm. and I saw a post. It was uh, from September when you guys were moving to Reno and it's just a picture of Mikey <laughs> doing bicep curls in the back of a moving van. Uh-huh. Was that a key component of your training regimen? <laughs> yeah, you have guys? to, you have to get in your strength training whenever you can. Uh-huh. <laughs> If you have to move boxes, you might as well put it to use. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the funny thing. I'm like, he's doing bicep curls before unloading the van. <laughs> he was supposed to be loading the van. Too fatiguing. Oh, okay. He just. Yeah. He was loading he had a little the. More energy um, left. What's it called? He was loading the dumbbell uh-huh. and had to, you know, yeah, get course. in a little. Pose for a shot. <laughs> I'll link to that in the show notes. It's a pretty great picture. Were you doing any other training for Mr. Yuck? Um, you know, I talked to my friend Paige Klassen, mm-hmm. um, and I think this was prior to doing City Park, which was kind of the September before Mr. Yuck. Okay. And I had talked to her because she has a busy season when she's down in Africa where she's working super hard. And she had mentioned that she got a plan written out by Justin Song. Okay. Um, and that she kind of just adhered to that program and that helped her send her project after her busy season. Okay. And so that was super reminiscent. I mean, I think my life as a resident was like always the busy season, yeah. you know? Yeah. But like, like what she... You know, what she was describing was like very similar to my life. And I think I realized that I think everybody can devise their own training plan if they put enough time and research into it. I Mm -hmm. think like you could do a good job making your own training plan. But ultimately, what I needed was like I needed somebody to tell me what to do. Uh (laughs) You didn't have the bandwidth to come up with it on your own. Exactly. I didn't have the bandwidth to come up with on my own. And like I have a tendency, it's hard for me to know like if I've done enough, you Mm. know, I think there's always a sense of like, oh, I could do more. Like I'm not fatigued (laughs) yet. I could probably like do another set of this or like, you know, I should probably climb another couple routes or, you know, and so I had a hard time like knowing when to stop and like when to go and so I think what appealed to me about having a training plan was just like you go in you do what you're supposed to do and then you're done nice so I I wrote to Justin and so I had him write a training plan right around I think it was right around city park time but I kind of extended it 
And it was partly for Mr. Yuck, actually, also, now that I think about it again. But, yeah, so he kind of just wrote out a plan for me. Okay. And it was super nice because I could be like, hey, these are the days I'm on call or these are the days, like, I have zero bandwidth Mm. to, like, push hard. You know, I can hangboard, but I can't. You know, like, I can't do any, like, hard bouldering or limit bouldering because, like, you know, all I've been up all night the night before, that yeah. kind of thing. Yes. And so it was really nice to have somebody do that for me so that I could just kind of go by the plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of so. stuff were you doing? So on Mondays, there'd be kind of, like, kind of strength training where it's not, you're not supposed to be tired afterwards. So, okay. like like dumbbell lifts for like your shoulders like overhead presses like lateral lifts like that kind of thing and so it's pretty much just kind of basic strength training um but at a level like at a volume and intensity where it's just kind of like kind of like restorative maintenance almost you know like you're not supposed to leave the session tired like i'm not like pushing my limits injury prevention yeah injury prevention totally so that would be mondays because i would typically have climbed all weekend and Mm -hmm. so monday would normally be my rest day and so he was like you know you should do something Mm -hmm. and then i would primarily train on tuesdays or thursdays and it'd be primarily it'd be max hangs so like you know like seven seconds on and then two minutes off kind of thing. Okay. And then like six sets of that. And then weighted pull-ups. Was that just one grip position? Usually just one grip position. Okay. Yeah. What was that? Was that like an open hand? Um, I started initially with an open hand and then it's kind of evolved into a little bit of like a half crimp. Uh-huh. And then I might start doing open hand again, actually. But I'm just noticing this. It looks like you have a very short pinky. I do on this side. In relation, on one side? <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? I think I have a flexion contracture on this side. Oh, wow. That's why it looks short, because yeah. I can't get it all the way straight. Yeah, it's just like ready to crimp always. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's ready, everybody. <laughs> I'm going to try to find I a picture just, of your pinky to share in the show notes. I just wow. noticed that like not that long ago. Oh, there. really? Yeah, so I don't know if I was born like this or if this has developed over time because my hands are always like That's this. That's funny. You don't know? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> That's incredible. I only started noticing it after, actually after climbing City Park because my PIP joint, this knuckle, uh-huh. got kind of swollen from all the pinky lines. Dude, I bet it's from that. <laughs> maybe. I reached out to Brittany because I was, I'm like kind of psyched to maybe check that thing out. And I was like, mm-hmm. can I even, is it possible? Like, can I... You know, mm-hmm. can I fit my fingers? And she's like, I don't know. Do you have strong pinkies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right. Start training pinky monos, I guess. And No, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I think that's definitely irritated it. Uh-huh. But, huh. yeah, hard to say. Nice. <laughs> all right. So, little injury prevention, max hangs, way to pull-ups. Mm-hmm. Way to pull-ups. And then it kind of just, like, depends on, like, what phase of the cycle you're in, you know. And so whether that's limit bouldering on the second training day or, you know, four by fours, like that kind of thing. So, like, Mm -hmm. nothing super sophisticated, but just to have, like, a written program. And then on the weekends, I would just go rock climbing. So during that period of time, it was primarily Smith Rock. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got you. Is, yeah. is that something you're still kind of, is that more or less your program these days or what are you doing now? Yeah, a little bit. So Justin um, is no longer writing training plans, okay. much to my um, dismay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so one of our friends, Josh Wharton, really likes kind of like working out the intricacies of training as okay. well. So I've like, you you're know. You're well connected. 
You have a lot of opportunities to connect with. <laughs> I just have people. a lot of, there's just a lot of people you meet along the way who yeah. are also psyched about rock climbing. Hell yeah. yeah. Totally. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And so, you know, I've asked him for kind of tips here and there as well, kind of broad strokes stuff. And then I actually recently got like a lattice training assessment. Oh, did you? Mm -hmm. And oh, then I had them, they have like a mini, like a light plan, I think is what they call it. Uh -huh. And so again, it's like, I just was looking for like a general plan okay and so they kind of gave me like a general 90 day plan okay so yeah so i've been using their app for quite a while it's the like crimped app mm -hmm. cool i'll link to the lattice light and i'll link to the crimped app in the in the show notes yeah the app one of my friends showed me a few years ago and it's really user-friendly and i think it breaks down the categories of training really well. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, oh, like this cycle, I need to be working on power. And so, you know, they have like a power section uh -huh. or like a finger strength section. And so it's easy to just click on that particular type of workout and then... This is and then I they have it, yeah. yeah. And they have like an explanation, and then there's like a timer kind gotcha. of thing. And so it's very like nicely integrated, and you can like log your workouts and stuff. Yeah. So I found that app super helpful. And so I was like, you know, I should reach out to these guys and, you know, see if they can write a plan. So, yeah. Were there any takeaways from the assessment? Um, <laughs> surprisingly, they told me that the area in which I was lacking was my flexibility. Really? Yeah. Okay. So that's totally not what I expected. So, huh. but, you know, they only assess certain things, right? Mm. So there's only certain parameters and they don't watch, in this assessment I did, they like don't watch you climb or anything. And so they assessed strength, they assessed endurance. So strength was based on like, how much your max hang was on a finger. So this is strength and endurance all kind of localized to your fingers. Fingers, and exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So then it's like strength was measured by max hangs and then power or endurance was measured by how many repeaters you could do on okay. the hangboard. And then there was the flexibility. And then I forget what the last one was. I think it was like a weighted pull up. Okay. But I think what they didn't measure... And the reason why I'm in bishop bouldering is they didn't measure power okay. or like, I don't know the other word for the, but you know, like pop yeah. effectively, yeah. you know, the because it was like, it. yeah, because it was like, they're like, oh, your finger strength is above average for the grade you're climbing. Your strength is above average. You know, everything was above average except for the flexibility. But okay. I think where I'm lacking is like the power, you okay. know, like I I can barely campus, uh -huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so they're like, oh yeah, just do like one, three, five, seven, nine on the campus board. I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> I can do one, three, 4.5. <laughs> so I can't do multiple sets of one, three, five, seven, nine because uh -huh. I can't get there. <laughs> so I think that was like one area in which the assessment was lacking yeah well know? that i mean it sounds like that still kind of led you to where i need to work on yeah yeah cool mm -hmm. um that makes me think of something else i also saw a photo on instagram and i'll link to this one too but it was a photo of you moonboarding or you and your friends having a moonboard oh, yeah. session mm -hmm. like you're with bailey speed and your friends liz and mm -hmm. amory amory. Mm -hmm. amory yep have you been doing much of that I would love to. Yeah, that's a really helpful power training tool. <laughs> it is super helpful, but unfortunately... Oh, no. 
as far as I know, there are no moon boards in Reno. Oh, come on, proper. Reno. I know. That's what I'm saying. Not a single moon board in the I know. World. So I would love it if, you know. <laughs> <laughs> would you, you guys know. ever get one for your... Yeah. Did, did you buy a house? Not yet. Okay. That's my life dream is to... Have your own moon board? Yes. <laughs> I, I have very few life there. goals. Yeah, that's but... a very achievable. Nice. You're going to be really happy. Like I achieved all of my life goals. <laughs> I have um, a moon board in my, in my garage. Nice. <laughs> but that so is you... one of the criteria as far as the houses we're looking at. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, tall garage. Because you have to have a tall garage. Yeah. yeah. And so. Um, totally. So sometimes Mikey's been showing me houses and I'm like, why are you even looking at that? <laughs> the garage Eight is foot not garage, dude. big enough. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and so oh, that's perfect. <laughs> I think there are moon boards in the area, but uh-huh. you know, like within like 30 to 45 minutes, but there's none in Reno. Okay. So got you. That's the one drawback. All right. Of Reno. <laughs> so that was at that was in Portland. That was we were still in Portland. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got you. Did you do that long enough to see whether or not it, it helped? Yeah, I the moon boards as far as for my climbing is yeah. the perfect training tool for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think it require, I mean, it requires that you pop, you know, yeah. and whether you have a foot under you or not, you know, you kind of have to go. And so it helps make my climbing a little bit more dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was super helpful. Nice. I can yeah. really relate to that. I think anyone that has spent a lot of time at Smith or mm-hmm. doing the kind of like really technical granite climbing that you do. Yeah. You just, yeah, you need to just moonboard. No, yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. Because... Like the thing we're all missing. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Because when I, you know, I would say when I started climbing, I used to be poppier. Uh-huh. But as I've gotten a little bit more into, you know, like Smith climbing and granite climbing, it's just it's not a tool you really use and sometimes it's like counterproductive uh-huh. and so I've like lost that skill hmm. and so I need I need it back <laughs> <laughs> interesting yeah got you so there's one big ticket item on your resume that we haven't talked about yet mm-hmm. and that is the first ascent that you and Mikey did on the east face of Liberty Bell oh yes tell me about that um so this, this- is August 2019 this is August 2019 um, that we sent it, but we had put in work in, we started looking at it in May of 2018. Okay. So kind of as a background. How'd you guys find it? Was it an aid line or anything, or was it just an unclimbed face and did you find it together? Yeah. And so as background, you know, Mikey's been climbing on the east face of Liberty Bell for a very long time. Yeah. And so he, I think one of the reasons is that he has, he has family. His brother lives up in Winthrop. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so it's like a great place to spend summertime because A, you know, that's the season to be climbing up at Washington Pass. And also it's like great to be spending time with Mikey's brother, John, and his wife, Adrian, and, you know, the kids, Mm -hmm. um, Ty and Reed. And so it's just kind of like a fun overall experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's why Mikey's gone there kind of year after year. um, Is that like it's more than just the climbing. There's also like, you know, the family aspect there as well. Cool. Yeah. And so... So the family is there, but the rock is actually amazing, which is the other reason he's gone back there year after year. And so uh, he has put up quite a few lines on the East Face. And so, you know, over the years has 
really like examined every inch of that mm. rock, I feel like. Uh-huh. And I think the only unexamined aspect was that northeast corner. Okay. And so the rock there is a lot different than on the east face because it's just steeper because mm. um, the east face is a little bit of like this big slab you know and so there are steep features but you know it's a bell-shaped thing uh-huh. so yeah. it's overall pretty slabby but on the northeast face it's quite steep and the rock is a little bit different color that kind of thing so Uh, This was ultimately Mikey's brainchild. And so he, you know, he's been looking at this rock for a while Uh and just like that aspect of it. And he was like, you know, we should go check it out. The rock might be terrible or it might be great, you know, but we just won't know until we go look at it. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, sure, let's go look at it. (laughs) So in May of 2018, we were up there and it was like, it was very warm that year. And so... It was climbable in May, so we were like, "Okay, we're gonna go up." And this is Washington Pass. And this is up in what is, Washington. What's the Pass. elevation there? Oof, I want to say like six thousand feet, okay. something like that. It's definitely a summer spot. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely a summer spot, and it's usually we're usually we've been historically up there in August or so because the east face goes in the shade at noon, so you can mm. climb, you know, in the afternoon oh, in pretty perfect. good conditions. Nice. Yeah. And it can get kind of windy up there and it can get chilly. And so August is like often the most dependable time. Okay. So we went up there very early that year in May because it was like unseasonably nice. And so we climbed a route next to it and then rappelled down into it to check out the rock. Uh-huh. We climbed. I feel like there's a story. There. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just kind of laugh halfway through mentioning the route to the left of it. Well, so we climbed. Initially, we climbed Blake's. Um, Blake had put up a new route that's Blake kind of Harrington. A, Blake Harrington. That's a conglomeration of things just to the left of this line. And we climbed that and realized that we couldn't see any of the features that we wanted to. It was too okay. far around right. Okay. So then we were like, okay, the other way to access this is up this kind of like rampy 5-9 to the right. And then as you top out the ramp, their feature joins with the top of one of the of the ret that we're looking at uh-huh. effectively. Uh-huh. So we're like, oh, it's five nine, no big deal. Okay. <laughs> we're just gonna go <laughs> climb a barber pole. Uh-huh. But it was winter conditions. Like so we it was like What do you mean? It's like mixed ice and stuff. It was or? like mixed snow and rock. And so Oof. there were like pitches where we were like, oh, we like mid pitch had to put our boots back on. Oh God! And like climb in our boots, and then finally we would hit enough rock where we could put on our climbing shoes again. <laughs> <laughs> but like we weren't preparing for that because we were like, oh, we're just gonna scramble off this yeah. five nine. La di da. And so we're like mixed climbing on like chossy stuff. You know, it was terrible. <laughs> I was, we were both, I think, a little, we weren't mentally prepared for that kind of adventure. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so but anyway, but we made it. You wrapped down the wall. We wrapped down the wall and the rock was amazing. Oh, cool. So good. Were you stoked? Just getting we were like, stoked. Still, so excited. It was super cool. Yeah. yeah. It's just, you just don't know, mm-hmm. you know, and um, so we brought bolt like a bolting kit with us. So we placed anchors at... Pretty much like ledge to ledge, it ended up being about 40 meters. And so we placed anchors pretty much every 40 meters on the way down. Okay. And then on the way down, 
there were actually like right off kind of the area of the end of the first pitch, there were like clusters of random anchors and tat and stuff. So there was Mm. like one kind of in the line that we wanted to go. And then there was one to the right and one to the left. And so I think it turned out that a couple parties had tried to climb this line ground up. I think one of them Mm. being uh, Blair Williams, who lives in Redmond, Oregon. Oh, yeah. 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 And I think neither of the parties had been able to kind of finish out the route. Mm-hmm. But um, there were signs that other people had been there previously. Okay. Um, and so, you know, we talked to Blair and I forget who the other person was, but I th- we pretty we got the okay to kind of yeah. keep at it. Nice. Mm-hmm. So Cool. Yeah. So you guys end up doing the first ascent of the dark side of liberty. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm just pulling this from the write-up that you did. It's like 1,100 feet, 513 plus, like four or five pitches of business. Yeah. It's, <laughs> no, I was just chuckling about the grade okay. and the name because my Because it's basically I, a V10, right? Yeah. I know. So I'm reading this and I'm reading your write-up. Are people, when is that going to come out? Am I going to be able to share that, your write-up and those photos and stuff? Um, I topo? think that I'll let you know. Let me okay, ask. Cool. Um, I'll keep listeners posted because it's, it's pretty cool. It'd be fun to share that eventually. Yeah. The write-up that I sent to Stephen was what we had submitted for the A. AAJ journal. So okay. whenever that comes out, I'm not really sure what time of year it does. Okay. Um, but they're compiling that now. Got you. But I was just chuckling about the grade and the name because Mikey and I. It's actually just your hardest boulder problem. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Mikey and I like debated quite a bit about this. Uh-huh. You know, because Mikey has like a bit of a reputation of like, you know. <laughs> being a sandbagger Uh (laughs) like he doesn't i mean i think he's quite realistic ultimately and but like nobody would say that his climbs are easy no one would ever say that no No. like you have to earn the rating on his climbs Uh so there was some discussion as to how hard this crux pitch was so this is the fourth pitch of the climb and you know the rest of it is like you know, the first pitch is 512 plus and the second pitch is 513 minus. And then so that's and then that and the third pitch is like a 511 and then the crux pitch is the 513 plus. And so it by far is the hardest part of the route. And mm-hmm. there's this boulder problem on, on it that is by far the hardest part of the route. Mm-hmm. And so like everything else is pretty consistent. But this boulder problem is very identifiably the crux. Yeah. And it's just funny because none of us had been, neither of us had really been bouldering very much okay. up until then. And so we just didn't really know. Well, what it, it, it's hard on that kind of thing, too. I mean, what's the nature of it? Is it just like heinous vertical granite climbing? Yeah, it is. Super so you go from or? this jug to you like go around this corner and you establish yourself on these like tiny we call them potato chip holes okay and then you have to like get your foot out right onto this face onto just kind of like a terrible you know granite foothold Uh and then you have to shift your weight over right and kind of like match feet shuffle your feet right and get them up and then you do this really hard crank up to this gas stone hold. Okay. And then you have to transfer your weight onto it and like pop your left hand up and then you kind of do this throw to a jug. Okay. And is this like vertical or is it a little steep right it there? It is like the 
entry moves are vertical, and then it goes into a roof okay. feature. Gotcha. And then after you hit the jug, and by jug, I'm using that term like very loosely. It's like <laughs> it's like an entire, you know, pad. One pad edge. <laughs> but it is very God. much a jug compared to That's the That's such holes. a granite alpine <laughs> climber thing to do. <laughs> huge jug. It's huge. And then from there, you do like another boulder problem that's probably like v5 or so like under clings it's out the roof feature okay. and then you kind of like have to get up and over this roof and establish yourself up and over it okay. and so we just didn't really know what a v9 or v10 <laughs> would be like uh-huh. and so we're like hmm, maybe it's v9 slash v10 but we don't really know uh-huh. and so we we try to recruit friends of ours who are strong and who've climbed v9 and v10 to like come verify the grade so <laughs> yeah did that work did so it did anybody? so we had um there are quite a few of the washington contingent uh-huh. um climbing with us on it um it was pretty fun we had like some Winthrop locals like Seth Kina and Steph Williams. And then Blake Harrington was out there. Uh, Kerwin Lacusa came out. Okay, I just um, met him in Leavenworth. Yeah, he's great. And he was actually up there micro-tractioning for fun the day that we sent. Nice. And then we had, who we were really interested in having come was Nathan Hadley. Oh, yeah. Um, because, you know, he definitely knows what V9, V10 Boulder feels like. Yeah, 11, and, 12. Yeah, <laughs> and much, much higher. <laughs> and then he also had just sent the Canadian Alpine Trilogy. Oh, yeah. Like the 3514s up in Canada. And so he also had been like doing that kind of climbing all summer. Uh-huh. And so um, he came down and did the second ascent of the route, which was super cool. Awesome. And did it in really short time, which is kind of as we expected. Uh-huh. But it was nice to hear his feedback on it. Yeah, what did he say? I think he agreed with the V9, V10 status. Nice. And he said <laughs> that. <laughs> it's still your hardest boulder problem. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You can't make this shit up. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And um, (laughs) he said it was very comparable to the Canadian trilogy he had just did. Oh, hell yeah. So he felt like the 514s up there hmm, might be a little on the soft side. And then ours was, you know, probably a little hard for 513 plus. So he was like, oh, if you want a lot of people to come climb this, then you should call it 514. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And Mikey Schaefer absolutely couldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) No, because then Nathan was like, but, you know, like if we're honest here, it's probably really hard 513, you know, 513 plus. (laughs) And so, of course, you know, that's where the grade settled. That's awesome. That's fantastic. (laughs) So you guys check it out in May. Did you say May 2018? Referring to what? When you first wrapped down it and put in the anchors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you work it on on it much that first season? No. So we went back that summer, so in August of 2018, to work on it. Okay. And we did the majority of the toiling and like the work, you know, the cleaning, like equipping it. Because you had to put a lot of bolts in on it. Yeah, the thing—it's a mixture of gear and bolts, but all of the hard climbing is bolted. Sick. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it is set up so, like, if you are a five twelve climber, 
or, you know, a 513 minus or 512 climber, I think, you can pull through the cruxes. Okay. So, because we just felt like the climbing on it is so good that it'd be a shame mm. if, like, only the people who felt like they could climb 513 plus were getting on yeah. it. Yeah. So... That's I awesome think, to hear. Yeah, it's and quite cool. That was going to be my next question too. Is like, how good did it end up being? Is it, it ends up it ended up being really good. Is it amazing? <laughs> the whole thing. Uh, yes, we were super lucky. So, cool. um, how many pitches is it total? It's ten pitches total, okay. and I would say that toward the top, the rock gets to be a little bit more mediocre. Okay. So it's, I mean, it's kind of like the top of any mountain, you know, for the most part, like as you get to the summit, it just, the rock quality is less ideal. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the first four pitches are great rock. And then the fifth pitch is this kind of beautiful, kind of like reminiscent of Yosemite corner hand crack overhanging thing that goes into this kind of off with climbing and then the sixth pitch is a very hard 511 like 511 plus arguably 512 minus kind of bouldery crack climb okay and then there's like a little pitch of wandery kind of 5.9 and then there's this mega 5.11 overhanging hand crack pitch Okay. after that yeah. which is amazing kind of just worth doing Yeah. I wish it like went on for like pitches on end but it's mm-hmm. unfortunately just that one pitch and then there's a face climbing pitch after that and then kind of the rest is rompy so, okay. yeah so overall it's a That's, fun day that sounds amazing a uh-huh. fun day yeah <laughs> uh-huh. how did you find the off with section it's not bad it's, okay. ca- it's short lived and um, it's like a pretty mellow off with as far as off with are concerned. Okay. There's like feet out on the face, like that kind of thing. Got so. you. Mm-hmm. And you guys ended up doing a team free ascent. We did. Can you, can you speak to the style that you guys climbed it in? Cause I think, I mean, and I can say this as a boulder or sport climber who knew nothing about this stuff and still knows probably pretty little, but when you say team free, I don't think a lot of people necessarily know what the implication of that is. So how did you guys go about that? What was the style that you free climbed it in? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. So the the standards, I think overall, like ultimately the gold standard is, you know, if you send a climb and you lead every pitch, that's like the uh-huh. ultimate gold standard. Like when it comes down to climbing with a partner who also wants to climb, yeah, <laughs> like it's not realistic, uh-huh. right? And so I think the style that Mikey and I have generally employed is that we each lead the crux pitches so if there's a question whether that pitch is going to be like a stopper pitch on whether you red point it or not, mm. like red point the route, then we both will lead it. Okay. And so it's a little bit more time consuming. But on some of the things that we've freed that we feel like are important to us, mm-hmm. um, like on Liberty Crack, on Liberty Bell, for example, like we both. That's another 513. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so on that, you know, we both felt like there's like a 513 pitch on there and then there's a 512 slab pitch that kind of helps the root go free. And so we felt like, you know, those pitches were both important to freeing the root. So like on that climb, you know, we both let it. And so it takes a little bit more as far as like shenanigans Uh and, you know, it makes the day longer, that kind of thing. But when 
the climbing is important to us, then we'll try and do it in that style. Nice. That's kind of seems in my mind, that's like the prevailing style with partners mm-hmm. since these days. Is that kind of true? I think so. And then I think like it makes me think of the Dawn wall. Like that seems like how they did. Yeah. They did that. They both led all the hardest stuff and then they just team freed the rest of it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I think that is like a good balance of practical logistics mm. and also like keeping up a standard. Cool. You know? But but like of note, we did not do that for this route. So so Mikey had freed all of the pitch. He had already led all of the crux pitches on lead like in the days as we were working up okay. to it. Yeah. And so the day that we <laughs> sent the route, the goal was to see if I could send the crux pitch on lead because I hadn't yet. Okay. But then when I sent it on lead, all of a sudden we were like, oh, we should just take this thing to the top. Okay. Yeah. But we didn't, like we weren't planning on going to the top that day. So we had started late, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> and so, yeah, we had started really late morning, like midday. And so we didn't have time for him to also lead the crux pitch, but he had already led the crux pitch uh-huh. previously and sent it. And so we decided to just call that. Okay. Okay. And that day, had you had you guys free climbed up to that pitch? Yeah. So we had oh, okay. free climbed up to that pitch. We had like oh, dude, each that's legit. sent. That seems super legit. Yeah. So we had yeah. each sent each of the pitches we had led and like the follower had sent all the pitches that day so far. So we were kind of like, oh, we're all set up uh-huh. to send this thing. Let's just go to the top. So Got you. I so think he didn't lead it that day, but he followed it. And he, he followed it. And clean. he had already led it. Yeah. Oh, dude. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So that's, that's why we decided to call it good. But I think... You know, had we had our preference, we would have both led the fourth pitch mm-hmm. on that on specific, the specific day. day. But, you know, again, you're just kind of splitting hairs at this point. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, so. congrats. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Where does that, that? Am I missing any other big ones? I mean, I'm curious, the kind of the highlights that we've talked about, does that one really stand out up there at the top? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think, you know, as far as goals go, I think you you often remember the ones that you, like, really had to struggle for, mm-hmm. and then, you know, you overcame the struggle, and then everything was awesome. Yeah. And I think that this one was a little bit anticlimactic in some <laughs> sense, because, like, I felt like we prepared for it super well, and so, like, I think we both knew that we could both do it, mm. and so... It wasn't, you know, like a big struggle that we overcame kind of thing. I think we both felt like it was within our capabilities. And so at the end, it was less like ecstatic hooray, you know, but, you know, thinking about the whole experience, all um, the prep and everything, all the prep and everything and just kind of doing something like this with your partner and like both succeeding at it is like something that doesn't happen very often yeah. and is super special, you yeah. know? And so, and also I have never put up a new route before. And so I just learned so much from yeah. Mikey and, you know, obviously he took the reins through a lot of like the initial logistics and planning of it. But, you know, I kind of felt like I was in rock climbing residency there for <laughs> a little cool. bit. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot. And so awesome. that was, you know, that was a part of the experience that was also very rewarding. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And you had done a number of other ones on that same feature. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you yes. were just less involved in the process on those ones. Those were repeats of things that Mikey had put up beforehand. Yes, or? exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. And okay. So, I mean, each of the routes that I've climbed on there have been like special to me for one reason or the other. Um, yeah. But 
you're right like this one is extra special so nice so yeah cool Uh that's awesome (laughs) one thing i'd love to to ask you about i mean even though it sounds like you guys kind of showed up and just executed it pretty quickly there wasn't a ton of drama that climbing style is still a pain in the ass Mm -hmm. and stressful Mm -hmm. do you have any advice for projecting something like that with the person you're dating (laughs) (laughs) can i ask you that I mean, you can't ask me. I, I don't know that I have any like sage advice because it's a work in progress. <laughs> That's a great answer. And I can't say that like we have it dialed by any means. <laughs> Nobody does. We're all just figuring shit out. I know. But um, yeah, I think is your question about like working something on a wall with somebody or just working a project? It could or? be like communication, things you've kind of learned about communication from that experience or just navigating the relationship in, mm-hmm. in stressful circumstance like that. Yeah. I think one of the things that I've learned over time, you know, with Mikey in particular, is that he's better than me. You know, he's okay. like a better rock climber. He's been doing it for longer. He's stronger than I am. And with that comes certain stressors. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Because, you know, because you don't want to always feel like you're the one holding up the team, Mm. you know? And, like, ultimately, I'm always the one holding up the team, which is, like, which is not a good feeling, I have Mm. to say, you know? And so how that manifests itself has evolved over time and like I've learned that a this is the case and b like how I need to deal with it so that we can kind of like ameliorate the effects of this a little bit more Uh (laughs) you know it's hard because it's like our skill levels aren't so disparate that we're like climbing on totally different things it's like we're climbing on similar things it's just he's gonna do it faster than I will, you know, mm. and, and like he could probably be climbing on different things than the things that we're climbing on together. But mm. so it often or has in the past, like it kind of stresses me out, to yeah. be honest, yeah. you know, because yeah. you're like, oh, like we're on this wall and like he's going to send this pitch and like it's going to take me like who knows how many more tries, you know, and it's kind of getting cold and it's getting dark and he's getting cold because he hasn't climbed in like two hours because I've been like working on this pitch. And so, you know, I think for this route in particular, I think that the nice part of it was that, you know, we did work it on mini traction. Okay. And so we had, you know, we had fixed ropes on there both seasons, like in 2018 and 2019. And so I was able to go to the route earlier than he was this season. Okay. And so... I was able to put in like three or four more days in it before he was available and before he got there. And so that, you know, like that kind of headway helped me out a little bit as far as just like preparation and just like feeling like I wasn't going to hold the team up, Mm. like that kind of thing. Like I was privileged in this instance to be able to do that. It's like not something that you can always do, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're climbing a route. Yeah, so sometimes it's like, 
we climb routes that he wants to do and I just know, you know, that I have a lower chance of sending it. Uh-huh. And then, you know, I try hard. I like chalk it up to having a good experience and like being a good partner. And like, for example, we went down to Mexico to climb logical progression. What's that? Um, it is this beautiful multi-pitch big wall sport climb Okay. in Mexico in El it's uh, Basiseachi National Park, and it's on this feature called El Gigante. Okay. And it's beautiful. It's super fun. I think it's like 513 minus, but the reason it's hard is it just has so many 512 pitches, like mm. 512 pitch after 512 pitch after 512 pitch. Mm-hmm. And I think the tricky part of it is that the bulk of the hard climbing is, so there's two ledges, and there's like you wrap into the root and so you stash oh. your you can stash your water and supplies like at the ledges on your way down. Okay. Which is like a very civilized way. That's of, yeah, it sounds fantastic. <laughs> of big wall climbing, but it also means that you have to get to your next ledge to get to your supplies. Oh, okay. And so, you know, when we were down there climbing, we went as a three pack. Mikey and I went with our friend Max Tepfer. Okay, yeah. And you know, it's like it became very clear on the second day or like when we're trying to get between ledge one and ledge two. It's like like unless you're flashing the pitches, there's not enough time for like me to be like working out a pitch that I fell on mm. or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And so like at a certain point in time, you just have to be like, OK, I'm not going to send this this time. We need to like support Mikey to do his thing so that he can send and okay. you know like and so that we can all get to the next ledge where our food and water is uh-huh. kind of thing so Got you. Huh. so that's like you know you do you know so on some routes i'm like okay i'm just this is what he wants to do and my chance of sending is lower and like i kind of have to accept that kind of thing and then other times you know in the relationship it's like okay i want to do x route and then even though he's done it before, he'll come and, you know, be nice. a good sport and support me. So okay. there's like, there's our give and take. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves and then you just get to pick your own project <laughs> and do that. <laughs> and session on that. So uh-huh. so it's a balance <laughs> of Mikey being here and Mikey not being here. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Thanks so much for sharing that. That's yeah. super interesting. I think mm-hmm. that could be um, helpful insight for a lot of people. Yeah, it's um, it's always hard to navigate that stuff. It is, and there's, I mean, there's there's so much to it, and I think climbing really heightens your emotions in a lot of settings, and so it's hard not to bring in relationship baggage mm. when your emotions are heightened sometimes, mm-hmm. and you know when you're like cold and tired yeah. and that kind of thing and so and your feet hurt because you've been <laughs> climbing shoes all day etc yeah so yeah. i think like managing that boundary is also quite hard for people mm-hmm. including us mm-hmm. yeah so but we're working on it yeah that's cool you guys i mean my perception is that you guys both are really great communicators it's really easy to talk to you i've had really extensive long great conversations with mikey Mm -hmm. so i imagine that um you guys are able to talk through things Mm -hmm. it's like i said it's a work Work in progress (laughs) perfect (laughs) so you're a doctor climber 
I think something that people might perceive, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, she's a doctor. She's clown 514. She's clown 13 plus trad. She's clown 13 plus like the big wall alpine stuff. But I've seen you enough times at Smith. I kind of see like behind the curtain a little bit. And what do you mean? <laughs> and what I'm trying to get at is it's not this like wonderful, glorious thing all the time. And you earn every bit of it. Like I've, I really have seen you hustle a lot. You know, I'll go into Smith and it's like, oh, it's eight in the morning and SJ's already warmed up and she's already put like three burns in on Vicious Fish and she's, oh, I'm going to climb with cool i walked in by myself and i get to climb with mikey for the rest of the day because sj has to drive back to portland at like nine in the morning uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah i've seen you you do the hustle and it's very impressive and inspiring but i'd love to hear what some of the challenges have been with that and how you think about that <laughs> um yeah so you're right it is not <laughs> obviously not as glamorous or as successful <laughs> as it looks from the outside uh-huh. um and i mean i think Overall, I feel really lucky to be Mm. able to do all the things that I do. And I think I'm privileged because I have people around me in all of the things that I do that are super supportive and understanding. But it is it is challenging. And I think the I think initially the hardest challenge for me was internal. So it was you know, these two worlds, there is like a lot of crossover, but there are not very many orthopedic surgeons who also want to climb at a high level, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and there are not a lot of high level climbers who (laughs) are like, oh yeah, (laughs) I want to dedicate like all the rest of my time in life to being an orthopedic surgeon. Uh So there's just not that many people who do both things. And I think, my initial biggest struggle was to even think that that would be a possibility. Hmm. Like to think... To believe it was possible. To believe that I could be a surgeon and also rock climb Hmm. at a level that I wanted to. And, you know, I struggled with it a lot initially. And so this is kind of getting way back into the weeds of it, but... When I was in medical school, you choose a specialty and then from there you apply into a residency program where you like train to be that type of specialist. Okay. And I had been interested in orthopedic surgery, but I wasn't sure I could hack it. You Mm. know, like I just didn't know if I could be a good orthopedic surgeon and still do the things I wanted to do. And so I ultimately, I ended up starting my training program, my residency in a different program, because on some level, I was too scared, I think, to commit Mm. to it. And then, you know, that's kind of the way things shook out in the end. And then I ultimately realized that, like, if you were gonna spend so much time working at a career, you might as well do what you want to do. Because no matter what you do for a career, like it doesn't matter what it is. Like if you're going to be good at it, you have to put time into it. Mm -hmm. And so, so I switched into orthopedic surgery. And when I first switched, it was a big struggle for me. Because, you know, aside from it just being hard work, there's very few role models like there are very few orthopedic surgeons who are out doing the things I wanted to do and so I just didn't know that it could be done Hmm. you know and 
I think ultimately that was the biggest challenge because I was unwilling to let go of rock climbing, uh -huh. but I couldn't see how it would fit into my life. Yeah. And over time, through snippets, like little snippets of success in my climbing life, like where I was like, oh, this is my next goal. Like, you know, I wanted to climb a 513, you mm -hmm. know? And so, you know, this was a little bit ago, but you know, I was like, okay, I'm gonna make a training plan and just see if I can like fit, you know, the 20 minutes of time I have in like between, you know, my case and then like my reading uh -huh. to do this workout. And, you know, over time, I realized I could do it, you know, like I could, like, it doesn't take a lot to maintain a certain level of climbing fitness. Mm -hmm. And if you don't expect every workout to be perfect, you know, if you don't think like, oh, okay, like I have to get in like my limit bouldering in today because that isn't reality, right? Like when you have like a crazy schedule in residency, you kind of just like slot in whatever you can. So mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I have 20 minutes. Like I'm gonna do a hangboard workout in this 20 minutes because that's all you have, mm -hmm. you know? But over time, I was able to demonstrate to myself that this was enough to work. And so over time, I had enough experiences to prove to myself that like I could make this work mm. and ultimately like I overcame my like own internal struggle with myself. Got it. Yeah. So that was probably like the biggest challenge in the scheme of things. And how do you think about that now? Do you feel like you have gotten to a point where you're able to balance this with the level of rock climbing that you want to be at or has there been or have you had to adjust your expectations with either your career or with climbing at all to make them both work? Of course, yeah. I yeah. think it is, it's a little of both. Okay. I think that you really can't be like cutting edge in more than one thing, hmm. you know? So if you're like, your focus is on two things, like there's no way you're going to be cutting edge in either thing, mm -hmm. you know? And so I have, I reset my expectations and so... You know, I'm not going to be a cutting edge orthopedic surgeon, but ultimately what I want is I want to be a safe orthopedic surgeon. Mm -hmm. Like I want to do my procedures well. I want to give good care to my patients, but like I'm probably not going to be the one designing like the cool new implant that we use mm -hmm. in a hip replacement or like, you know, starting a company to do that or, you know, like discovering new research, like that kind of stuff. Like I know I'm not going to be cutting edge in the field that way. And then like the same in climbing, it's like, I could be a better climber if I spent more time on it. Uh -huh. But ultimately, I think that I can perform at the level that makes me happy right yeah. now. And so that is in enough both? for me. You yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. And obviously you can always <laughs> be better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, I still, I think that the way that things have worked out, like I have the opportunity to get better at both things still. Mm. And so I'm really lucky yeah. on that regard. And you can just combo, you know, you can, you can try to be the best rock climbing orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> uh -huh. I've done a lot of first orthopedic surgeon ascents, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long acronym. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Is there anything that you wish you'd known when you were first getting into your residency? I think what I 
do wish I had known was, so in these fields, specifically in medicine, things are done a certain way. Like there's definitely a hierarchy. Mm. There's like a way of like advancing through the ranks kind of thing. Mm -hmm. There's like a very specific culture. And I, I mean, I'm sure it's like this in multiple fields, but it's very like clear cut in medicine. Like there's a certain way to behave. You know, there's certain things you're expected to do. And if you want to be successful in this career, you ultimately should be doing all of these things, you mm -hmm. know, and like as somebody who likes to at least be proficient at the things I'm doing, I kind of subscribed to this culture, I think, more than I should have. Mm. And so like in my mind, I was like the only way to be good at orthopedic surgery is to like do all of these things that I'm, quote, supposed to be doing. And I mean, I think there's something to be said for participating in the system because I think the system is there for a reason. Like the system is there to make safe orthopedic surgeons. I think a lot of the, you know, quote, busy work that we do in residency does serve a purpose, you mm -hmm. know, like it kind of like teaches you to manage patients in a certain way or, you know, there's like a reason a lot of these things exist. But I feel like in my mind, I had always thought like, I need to do what all of these other people do in order to be a good orthopedic surgeon. Okay. And that picture never really included like extracurricular activities because, <laughs> you know, as far as surgery is concerned, like extracurricular activities are just for fun. But like to me, rock climbing, it is fun, but like it's ultimately so important to me that I can't imagine not doing it, mm -hmm. you know? And so, but I don't think that most orthopedic surgeons have that thing outside of medicine right and so i just had, i just wish i had known a little bit ahead of time that like it is okay to not participate in like every single activity you know that was part mm -hmm. of the orthopedic surgery track so to speak mm -hmm. and like if i didn't do everything that didn't mean i was going to be bad at orthopedic surgery okay i don't know if that makes sense that does i think yeah yeah it's just there is such an ingrained culture and it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking like I need to do things the way that they have been done mm. in order to be successful. And so it just took me a while to like kind of challenge that challenge that. Did you feel pressure from your peers to follow those norms? I think that there is kind of subconscious pressure. Like I don't think that people are overtly pressuring to do things, but you know, it's like, it's even simple things like, okay, my co-residents are like going out on the boat this weekend, you know, nothing to do with orthopedic surgery, but like it's part of networking, you know, it's part mm -hmm. of like building your team and like making your team stronger, you know, but like I never took part in any of those activities because okay. I was like, oh, I want to be rock climbing, but uh -huh. like in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, should I be participating in these things that like ultimately make my team stronger, mm. you know? And so it's like stuff like that, or like, you know, I probably went to fewer conferences than my peers did and like that kind of thing. And so there was no overt pressure, but I think it was more like internal pressure that I placed on myself. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Mm -hmm. All right. So I have a note here. I was asking you about um, about reading, whether or not you read. Mm -hmm. And I just have a note that says Roar. It says Roar <laughs> Book. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about what you've been reading. 
Um, as a caveat, I haven't finished it yet. Okay. And is the book titled Roar? The book is titled Roar. It's okay. by um, Dr. Stacy Sims, and so I haven't finished it, and I haven't like looked any deeper into the research behind it. Okay. So I can't say that all of this is you know tried and true, but it's really inter- It's been really interesting to me because, as a part of training. Mikey and I have been trying intermittent fasting okay. with very different results. So, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's been super interesting. And so we've What does been that look like for you? Is that every day? Like primarily doing like the 16-8 okay. so schedule. So you eat within an eight-hour window exactly. and then you fast for 16 hours. Exactly. Okay. You know, so Mikey's results with it have been outstanding you Mm -hmm. know he's effectively become lean and mean you know Mm. like he's lost the weight. he's become stronger overall it's really worked for him Mm -hmm. for me uh i've actually put on a bunch of weight interesting with the fasting and so i'm actually heavier now than i had been for as long as i can remember okay um do you have a sense of your body composition like is there a chance it's been muscle or do you not know I don't totally know. Okay. Like there's a chance some of it is muscle, but I, I suspect that some of it is fat as well. Mm-hmm. And I just haven't been feeling that great with it. Mm. And so I feel heavy, mm-hmm. not like in like, oh, I have more muscle way. Yeah, I just yeah. feel heavier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like in a rock climbing got harder sort of way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know the feeling, right? And so <laughs> it's... It's, um, I started kind of like researching it a little bit more. And so this book came up and I had also, it came up the same week that I was trying to plan out my birth control. Okay. I was like trying to figure out like when to take it, et cetera, so that, you know, I didn't have my period when we're like going to be on a big wall on the first week of March, effectively. Mm-hmm. And then also plan it around, like, you know, when I feel good and when I feel bad and when I want to send my projects, vice versa. So the book is about, it's like exercise physiology geared toward women specifically. Okay. And it's quite interesting because they touch on both topics. So as far as the intermittent fasting goes, her theory is that it actually raises your hormones. And so it pretty much produces a stress response that tells women's bodies to store fat. Mm. And so she rigorously does not support intermittent fasting for women. I've heard that before. Yeah. And then the hormone part of the kind of birth control, which was surprising to me, was also that the part of the month where you have higher hormones is kind of the couple weeks right before your period. Uh-huh. So it's not actually like the day of your period that you feel terrible. It's like those days before. Mm. And so while having your period might be annoying, it's often not kind of like the worst time for performance. So mm. I just I thought the book was really relevant to kind of the things I was thinking about yeah. recently. And there's just not a lot of information out there about these things as they apply to women. And I think there's like very like, you know, there's very like physiologically different things going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just kind of is helping me kind of think about these things a little bit more, you know, as I'm showing up climbing each day and, you know, figuring out like what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing, like that kind of thing. Any takeaways as far as um, diet and timing of food and stuff like that that you're trying? I've stopped intermittent okay. fasting. Yeah. 
I was like, this is great. I'm going to eat breakfast again. <laughs> okay, so you guys were fasting till lunch and then doing like lunch till yeah, or whatever. I mean, initially I was trying to fast, yeah, where I was eating breakfast and kind of stopping. At like 4 p.m. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's I think just, that's harder. It's really I've challenging. Tried both and I, yeah. That's harder for me. It's challenging also just from like a social standpoint, yeah. you know, like it's hard to be like, oh, sorry, I can't have yeah. dinner with you because yeah. I'm not eating. <laughs> I know we like invited our friends out to dinner one night and then Mikey was like, well, I'm actually fasting all day. And I was like, well, I'm actually supposed to eat before four. <laughs> We'll join you and have a water. Yeah. And then we were like, okay, we take back our invitation. Uh Yeah. Let's get breakfast tomorrow. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, So I tried that for a little bit and then I did. It just naturally shifted into not eating until noon. Okay. And it ended up, you know, it is interesting. Like it's not, it's not hard to do after the first couple weeks, but I just was feeling really heavy. Like I was doing really well with the fasting, but I was feeling really heavy and I was like, this is, this is the weirdest thing. Like, I'm just like, when I would get on the scale, I'd be like, this is super weird. Like the the number reflects how I feel. Like I feel heavy Uh and like I am heavy and like, I haven't been this heavy for like, like I literally don't think I've ever been this heavy, you know? And so I was like, okay, I'm done with this. You're climbing well, training weight, (laughs) you're getting strong. Exactly. Just wait until I lose these two pounds. Awesome. <laughs> I'll be she sending. She started eating breakfast again and just dropped the weight. It's going to be great. Crushed. That, that's really, really interesting. I mean, I'm absolutely no expert, but I am kind of geeked out on this sort of stuff. And I've, I've read a lot of anecdotes and it actually does. There is something to that. It does seem that very generally men have better results from fasting than women. And obviously there's a lot of variation within males and females as well. But, um, but I also wonder, I mean, you're just adding more stress to your system and mm-hmm. it seems, and I could be wrong, but it seems like you are likely, you have more stress in your day to day than Mikey does. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's a component of it too. You know, like you probably have more work stress, just higher cortisol all the time. And so adding one more stressor might just be pushing yeah, it over the edge. Yeah. Just adding to the pile. Yeah. No, that's I think interesting. that's a possibility. And I mean, I think like, I think that it might be beneficial to some women potentially, you know, and I think, but I think in my particular setting, I just, you know, after six weeks of this, I was like, this is very clearly not working for me, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and then I don't know. I also kind of, you know, this is kind of a separate note, but like, I also feel like it was getting a little bit unhealthy. Like I feel like normally I eat like a balanced diet and, you know, I feel like things are very nicely in balance, but it just with the fasting things felt like a little bit out of balance, you okay. know, and like, yeah, it just, it just didn't feel quite right for me. Hmm. So, okay. but I don't know. I mean, it might be for some people, but I just don't think it was for me. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But anyway, I think so far the book has been helpful and at least like guiding the way I think about it and kind of giving me new areas to look into. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll be sure to link to it in the show notes. It sounds super interesting. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah. Um, are you exploring, you mentioned bouldering and snacking earlier <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and you just mentioned your balanced diet. Uh-huh. Are you exploring different ways of eating it all on diet? I think I'm going to just go back to, to what you're doing. To what 
to just kind of normal eating for me for a little bit. Okay. Like, yeah, I just think like I experimented the last, you know, six to eight weeks, maybe even more than that by this point. And I think I'm just ready to like, you know, not experiment for a little nice. bit. <laughs> right on. Very cool. Is there a new habit or routine or belief that has been most impactful in your life recently? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm about to sound like an ad, but this is amazing. Go so, for it. So we moved into a new place uh-huh. in Reno. And so we were getting new furniture and like nightstands and stuff. And we came across this light that so we were looking for lights for the nightstands Mm -hmm. and we came across this light that it pretty much syncs with this app on your phone and it'll turn on gradually in the morning oh yeah like as you're supposed to be waking up Uh and i'm i am an awful morning person i'm terrible and Uh like poor mikey i like hit snooze at least twice and i'm you know always waking up in the dark and you know it's always super early and poor mikey like wakes up the same time i do because i can't wake up to my alarm (laughs) but this light is amazing Hmm. because yeah it gradually turns on over the course of 30 minutes and you just kind of wake up naturally to this light nice and the feeling of waking up to the light is so much more peaceful than waking Mm. up to your alarm and you actually wake up, you know, and, you know, there's physiology behind, you know, the light receptors and and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Et cetera. But it is miraculous. Wow. Like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, ah, instead of like, (laughs) ah. (laughs) Like it's amazing. (laughs) Do you know what the name of it is? Um, so Casper makes it. It's Casper. like the Casper light. And it okay. is, um, it. it's definitely on the expensive side. Like we, it was right around like Black Friday when we were like furniture shopping and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we would have done it. But then Mikey's like kind of a tech geek. And he was like, oh, this is like really cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so since I had his buy-in, I was like, okay, fine, we'll try it. Yeah, because the lights are not cheap. Yeah, and, what's um, expensive? It is, I think the two for like the Black Friday sale were like two were like 200 bucks maybe. Okay. So yeah, they're like, they're a pretty penny for sure. But okay. um, Could change your life though. They're amazing. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so I'm a much more pleasant morning person now. <laughs> <laughs> And I've been drinking a glass of water in the morning. Okay. That's another thing I've been doing. So I'm I'm working on becoming a morning person. Yeah. Do you drink coffee? I drink decaf coffee now. Okay. Yeah. I love coffee. I would love to drink coffee every morning. Uh Uh-huh. But I was getting a little too into it, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, coffee is addictive, you know? And so, like, it just all of a sudden felt like I was dependent on the substance, which you very much are. Uh And then I'm like, oh, if I, like, didn't have it within, you know, like, there were some mornings where I'm like, oh, I had, like, a rough week. I want to sleep in. Mm -hmm. If I, like, slept in too much and I, like missed my coffee time i would mm. wake up with this headache Ooh. you know and i was like man this like caffeine withdrawal thing is yeah super real so i've been trying to dial it back gotcha. and just like i like the ritual so i've been doing like nice swiss water decaf coffee Ooh. and then like on special occasions i'll have real coffee okay yeah and then on like 
semi-special occasions, I'll have like half-calf coffee. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that sounds perfect so yeah how but much I do coffee were you drinking before how much caffeine not that much i was just drinking the one cup in the morning oh wow yeah and maybe <laughs> the truth comes out and then like maybe once in a while like a second cup but overall i was i wasn't having a ton of coffee that's like not some, yeah that's not no. much i wonder if you're especially sensitive to it or something yeah no it seems like it but it just you know i'm like traveling enough or like you know my schedule is like wonky enough that mm. like i just felt like it was wrong to be so dependent on this mm. substance that like it needed uh. to happen at like X hour every day. <laughs> I, I just thought of a story. I remember this is probably 10 years ago, but at one point I felt the same thing. I was like, I don't want to become dependent on this thing. Mm -hmm. And I went off coffee for a while. I told my sister, I think we're at like a family get together or something. And I was like, oh no, I'm not drinking caffeine for a while because I, I don't want to be dependent on it. And there was just this pause. And then she goes, Why? <laughs> and you just get to have it every day. <laughs> That's what coffee drinkers like, all oh, say. <laughs> that's brilliant. I was thinking about it totally backwards. If I'm like addicted, then I just get to have it every day. <laughs> yep. No, that's what people tell me as well. <laughs> I think you're onto something. No, I think I think there is. Uh, I've kind of gone actually closer towards what you're doing now. So that's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Is there a specific route that has taught you the most? Hmm. That's a tough one. I threw that one out of the blue. Yeah, I don't think so because, you know, I think climbing, like to be a good climber, you have to climb a lot of different things, a lot of different styles and types of things. And so I think everything teaches you something mm -hmm. and they all make you a little bit better, ideally. Mm. But I can't think of like one specific one that, you know, was like the one you mm -hmm. know they've all kind of taught me something okay yeah cool do you have any advice or tips specifically for women trying to break into 514 or hard track climbing so i think for anybody there's like a few things that need to happen for you to climb 514 anything i think you have to have like some amount of climbing under your belt right so mm -hmm. you have to have like the experience the technique etc like i think you have to be a good climber and that's kind of a little blurrier right it's like hard to be like oh yeah i have good footwork or you know mm -hmm. i know how to like move my body in space but i think that comes with time i think you have to be strong enough you know so like i think there's some aspect of training that goes into it i think for women specifically so Ali Tor and Tom Randall mm -hmm. from the Lattice Training Guys, you know, like they have all these all this data about people based on all of their assessments, that kind of thing. Yeah, and this goes back to the Lattice assessment that mm -hmm. you did. Yeah, and so I was listening to one of their podcasts that they had done, and what they were saying was that women have, like, ultimately, you know, our finger strength is good etc but what we're weak at is like our shoulder girdles are okay. weaker and i've found that to be super true and i think i think that strength training from just like a lifting weight standpoint or like doing pull-ups you know muscle-ups like those kinds of kind of shoulder girdle things are important specifically for women mm -hmm. and i think you know Another another key component is just kind of injury prevention because that 
that's what's going to keep you from climbing 514 is if you're getting injured trying mm. to do it. And if you, like if your shoulder girdle is your weakest link, you know you're going to hurt your shoulders because mm-hmm. you can hang on like our finger strength on a hole is generally sufficient, you know. And so it's like if you can hold on to the hold but like you can't control your shoulder biomechanics, like that's the weak link, that's where you're going to hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. And so like I do think aside from just like specific climbing related strength and power training, I think like Working on the shoulder girdle is super important. Like injury prevention is super important. And just like understanding like what your weak links are is super important. So you spoke about weighted pull-ups. Are there any other specific exercises you do for your shoulder girdle strength? Um, So I think like antagonistic exercises are good. Um, And so, you know, like the dumbbell kind of lifts... um, I don't know what those are called. Yeah. yeah. So you have your arm straight out in front of you and you're yeah. just lifting, lifting your arm up. with the, your palm facing down, holding yeah, the dumbbell, exactly. lifting it up to like lifting a 90. Up. Yeah. So like kind of helps with your deltoid and your rotator Whatever it is, cuff. I'll find it and I'll <laughs> okay. post a video in the show notes because I can't think of the name of that either. Yeah. And like, you know, to the side, Okay. Um, like presses, push-ups, you know, kind of like antagonistic exercises, like, you know, your external rotator exercises. It's like scapular stabilization kind of stuff because, you know, I think a lot of shoulder injuries happen because you're not stabilizing your scapula in space. And so like it leads to internal impingement as you're climbing and with overhead activity Mm. because the scapula has this. The acromion is like this extension of the scapula that kind of connects up front here to your clavicle. And so when you're doing overhead activities, if your scapula isn't moving appropriately in space, then the risk of your rotator cuff impinging on it becomes higher. There becomes a lot of like mechanics issues with it. Mm -hmm. And so you put yourself at like a much higher injury of, you know supraspinatus terror, et cetera. Mm. And so I think the scapular stabilization exercises are super useful. And then, yeah, rotator cuff exercises, et cetera. So, cool. yeah. And then what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah, I had a story. So then I think the other thing about women specifically climbing 514 is that I think you have to, within reason, I think you have to believe you can do it. Nice. And it is super interesting. I mean, like, you can't just be like, you know, like, I just climbed 511. <laughs> yeah. Like, now, yeah. like, I want to climb 514. Like, you know, this is within reason. But it's super interesting. So when we were in residency, we had to do these self-assessments. So our bosses, our attendings would assess our surgical skill level. And then we would assess our surgical skill level. And we did this, like, per rotation and per year. And the pattern always was that the male residents would be very accurate in how they scored themselves. So they would say like, okay, like I am good at doing a knee scope, you know, like on a level from one to five, I'm like, you know, a two or a three or whatever. And like what the attendings assess them as would also be the same. So the males were very good at like assessing themselves at their level, whereas all the female residents would underassess themselves. Hmm. So they would always be like, oh, out of, you know, a skill level between one and five, you know, like I'm a two, whereas all the attendings would be like, oh, so-and-so is actually a four Hmm. out of five. And so that was like a very common pattern that was, you know, it was just 
in our training program, but I, I do think it's like a common thread specifically in women, you know, who just need to believe that they can do it, you know, mm. and like I've luckily in my life just had enough people, you know, I've had enough mentors and, you know, like one of my good friends, Bailey Speed, she's always been like, oh, yeah, of course you can do that. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I can't do it. And she's like, yeah, of course, like you're going to do it, you know. And so I've I've been lucky to have people in my life who have given me that belief and like helped me recognize like, OK, this is the level I'm at in reality. Mm. And so I think that there are a lot of people out there who can, you know, climb at that level, but who are just intimidated by like what that number means, mm. you know? Yeah. And so I think, you know, within reason, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, you just need to believe in yourself also. Cool. Yeah. Right so, on. Yeah. I'm curious. So do you think if there's someone out there who maybe doesn't have people telling them that they can do it and they have been climbing for a long time, they're very strong. Do you think the lattice assessment would be helpful at all? An assessment like that, that tells you objectively, like, hey, on paper, you are strong enough to do, you know, X, Y, or Z that you don't necessarily believe that you can do? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that would help. Okay. I think the, the tricky part about the lattice assessment, at least the part that I did, was that there's no assessment of your your climbing climbing ability ability right. right like the technique aspect of it and mm -hmm. so so that part is harder to gauge mm -hmm. but you know i do think to some extent there is like an algorithmic aspect mm -hmm. to this you know if you are like doing max hangs with x amount and weighted pull-ups with x amount you know like theoretically yeah you probably should be able to and then like if you're not able to i think then you kind of like re revisit like okay what is holding me up kind mm -hmm. of thing you know is it like a mental thing or is it you know like a technique thing you know that kind of thing gotcha so, yeah so are you working on your flexibility now <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm trying. I That's yeah. the other new thing I'm doing. Other than the Casper Light, um, <laughs> I got a subscription to Yoga Anytime, okay. which is awesome. Um, one of my friends, is she's a yoga teacher on it, and she's lovely. Her name's Lydia. Uh -huh. So it's like my way of being able to hang out with Lydia all the time nice. <laughs> because she lives up in Canada. Yeah, But it's super nice. So it is like I am kind of working on my flexibility, and also it's like I can do yoga when it fits into my schedule okay. instead of like, you know, when the class is offered at the gym. So mm -hmm. nice. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Do you think it's improving yet? Have you noticed any change? <laughs> I'll get back to you. I think it's the hardest thing, man. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this every day for seven months and like, hopefully it makes a difference. Yeah, no, it's crazy. It's like, I'm like, oh, forever. I can like kind of touch my toes now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> but no, I need to I need to keep working on it. It's right on. hard. <laughs> nice. So a couple times you mentioned Yosemite. You mentioned that you were down there, I think, last year, and then that you were planning on going back in the spring. Mm -hmm. You have a project down there? <laughs> of course. Um, for as long as I remembered, even before I saw the thing, pretty much as soon as I started rock climbing, I've always wanted to free climb El Cap. Yes. I was mm -hmm. so hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very original, yeah. but it is a very impressive piece of rock. It doesn't have to be original. It's just like the <laughs> coolest thing in rock climbing. It is the coolest thing in rock climbing. Just because other people are interested in it too doesn't make it less That's awesome. That's true. That's true. I That's have to rad. remind myself of that too. Are you trying a specific route? 
Um, I put in some time on Freerider last season and Mikey and I had previously gone up on Golden Gate like a few years ago and I I don't think I was really ready for it at that point in time but I think you know over the last few years I've put in some work and I, I think I still have a little bit of work to do but yeah, I think I think Freerider free is doable. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, and it's, you know, as is often the case with people who are not, you know, LCAP climbers, so to speak, like, it's kind of the easier sections that are the hardest because mm. it's kind of, you know, it's like the blue-collar wide climbing that's really mm-hmm. hard, you know, where it's, like, not super protected, you know, and you're supposed to be moving fast through it, but, you know, you're like, oh, this is a 5'7 chimney, but, like, I can't protect it for, like, 30 feet, and, Uh like, it's, like, all flaky out here, (laughs) you know, I'm going to move super slow, you know, like, that's the kind of climbing that actually makes me more nervous on that route than anything, like, the... The actual, the hard climbing feels like a relief to me because like, I'm like, oh, like I know how to, yeah, I'm like, (laughs) I know how to like handle like a granite boulder problem, you know, or Uh like, you know, like a granite finger crack. I'm like, I can do this, but you know, you get into like the 510 climbing and you're like, oh, geez, (laughs) like this is hard. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And I think that's often the case, you know, with people who haven't like you know, grown up climbing mm. El Cap or mm-hmm. like Yosemite a lot kind of thing. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. There's not really much else we do in rock climbing that prepares us for that. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So yeah. are you going to be doing weekend trips down there? Or do you have a longer trip planned? Um, I think initially uh, just weekend trips until I feel like I'm ready. Um, I'd like to climb out of it. So like from... The enduro corners or from the boulder problem out mm. i think a lot of the a lot of the harder climbing as far as number grades are up there and mm-hmm. i i just i want it to feel on lockdown because by the time you get up there you're kind of tired from like hauling and doing the blue collar work earlier in the route and so i just don't want it to be a question mark so i think i'm going to go up there and just kind of do the top section on like a weekend trip or two and then try it ground up sick so yeah that's Uh awesome yeah it sounds like you're like nearly ready to go for it huh um we'll see maybe we'll see i'm (laughs) like pre-spraying for you (laughs) that's awesome cool well i'll be rooting for you that's that's really cool thank you what is something that you have been especially grateful for lately I think I kind of touched on this a little bit, but I am super grateful for just kind of all the people that believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Hmm. Because, you know, we've been talking about like accomplishments and successes and stuff, but like ultimately, you know, the day to day is hard and you know, like there sometimes like the picture isn't very clear cut and like you don't know what direction you're going in. And it's like sometimes hard to believe that. Yeah, to believe in yourself to like be like, oh, what I'm doing is worthwhile or like I can even do what I'm doing, be it whether that's like work or whether that's climbing or you're just tired or, you know. And so and there have been definitely periods through my residency and training that were very difficult as just far as like 
knowing that I wouldn't be able to finish it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think during those times, like as a person, you're not, you're not like the most fun person to be around, <laughs> you know, like uh -huh. people aren't like, oh yeah, let's like hang out with SJ then, you know, like, uh -huh. like even through all of those times, like I've been super lucky to have people in my program, you know, just kind of keep pushing me forward and, you know, Mikey has been instrumental and in just, you know, he like helps me make the most of the time I have, you know, and like when I'm tired, he like reminds me like, hey, maybe you're not sending because you're tired and not because you're terrible. Because <laughs> I'll be like, oh, I'm so terrible at this. <laughs> Isn't it fascinating how quickly that kicks on? It's yeah, like, you're like, you oh. have one bad day and it's like, uh, what happened to me? Yeah, I'm Nothing. Useless. Chill out, dude. Yeah, you're fine. Exactly. You're like, go take a nap. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's just nice to have people who support you even, you know, when you're not being like 100% rational. And so that's what I'm grateful for. Like, you know, I just have had so many people like help me along. And so that's how I am here, hmm. the way I am today. So cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. What about something you're excited about right now? Mm. Um, I'm excited to be in Reno. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm just, I'm just like excited about like this time in life, mm. you know, like I feel like from a work standpoint, I work at the VA hospital in Reno and I like my patients are great. Like I take care of veterans that, that like I can like really dedicate my time to. And it's like totally a different feeling when they're your own patients. Like mm. you, you're more invested in them and like it forces you to like learn a lot more. Like I spend like a lot more time now actually like studying and like looking through papers and like watching surgical videos on YouTube oh, cool. because like their outcomes really matter now that they're your like own patients. So mm. like I'm like kind of excited about this like time in life and then I'm excited to be in Reno because like the rock climbing around there is awesome nice and then yeah i'm excited for trips to the hulk this summer sweet yeah um and yeah it's good i was gonna ask you this earlier do you feel like your uh your work and climbing or work-life balance is better now that you have your job and you're not in residency anymore oh no it is much 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 better okay much better i'm glad to hear that That's yeah cool. it is much better i feel like, I think the balance is always a struggle. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy for me when I'm working to be like, oh, I shouldn't go climbing this weekend. Like, I really should just, like, keep working on X, Y, or Z thing. But then, like, I'm always glad when I, like, take a break and climb. And then I'm like, oh, I really should climb more. <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, you know, the balance is always a struggle. But, like, the balance is much more balanced than... Like, there was no balance before in residency, uh -huh. you know? It was, like... I, and the point of residency is, like, you're there. It's, like, it's boot camp, you know? Yeah. It's, like, you're in it because the more time you're there, the better you become, you know? And so there was no balance there. I was, like, just, like, slotting in, yeah. climbing whenever I could then. And, like, now <laughs> I feel like I can, like... I have, like, room for both. So I, yeah, that part is awesome. Cool. Glad to hear that. That's mm -hmm. awesome. That's exciting. <laughs> Where can people find you? 
in Reno. <laughs> huh, that's not what you mean. <laughs> um, so on social media, my handle is Sean Jean. So my first name, it's S-H-A-N-J-E-A-N. Um, and so I think that's the primary way that I kind of share things that happen in life and any random thoughts that I have along the way. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, and I think that's the main way. Okay. Do people mm-hmm. call you Sean Jean? Or is everyone call yeah, you SJ? I think um I think it's a little bit of a mix. Okay. I think in the climbing world most people call me SJ. Uh-huh. But at work most people call me Sean Jean. Uh-huh. And um yeah, either one works. No preference. No, I the only preference the only thing I wish is when I just want people who know me as SJ to know my real name. Okay. You know, because there's a lot of people who are just they just think my name is SJ, but I'm like, actually, I'm Sean Jean. <laughs> I have a name. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, I like love SJ because it's kind of like, it's, you know, my like close friends have always yeah. like called me that as endearment and that has just like spread on. Uh-huh. But, but then at a certain point I was like, dude, nobody, I was like, they don't know my actual name. <laughs> <laughs> and like, the crazy thing is like, you know, my mom, my parents are from Taiwan and they do this thing where like they put a lot of thought into it (laughs) like because it's like based on like the time that you're born and what day you're born and you know like whatever kind of random astrological stuff is going on but like based on when you were born like each character has a certain number of strokes and so like they thought like very carefully about my name yeah and it it means emperor's counselor in oh, no Chinese. Kidding. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. And so just kind of like as how a that, tribute. How's that to, role playing out in your life? Well, so initially, when I found out that's what it meant, I was like, Mom, this sucks. Like, why am I the counselor? And I'm like, not the emperor. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is because I'm a chick. Huh? <laughs> But then her very nice answer was that she's like, well, the counselor is the one with the real power. Nice. (laughs) And I was like, "Hmm." okay. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, maybe it's working out. (laughs) I derailed you, though. You were saying as a tribute and then I cut you off. Oh, yeah. Just as like a tribute to like the amount of like time and love that she put into the name. You know, people should know your name. I was like, oh, my name's Sean Jean. Yeah. Yeah. And so. And know that I'm a motherfucking counselor to the emperor. (laughs) Yeah. So take that. that. (laughs) Exactly. Well, SJ, this has been so much fun. Mm-hmm. Thanks for this sitting down. This has been great. Of course. Yeah, I've seen you so many times at Smith Rock, and I see you hustling to get climbing, <laughs> to fit in climbing. I always see you trying hard. I don't think I've ever Aww. seen you pull onto the rock and not make try hard noises and really go for it. <laughs> but you always have a smile on your face. I've also never seen you Aww. grumpy or pissed off. You're always in a good mood and delightful to talk to you. So it's just a really wonderful combination. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. I'm definitely not smiley all the time. <laughs> <laughs> He's saving all up for Mikey. <laughs> yes, lucky Mikey. <laughs> he gets to see it all, but um, he's very patient and tolerant. And overall, I try not to be too much of a grump. So. <laughs> right on. Yeah, well, well, thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Best of luck on your Boulder projects. And I'm excited to see what happens in the Valley. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Take care.